Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure alongside our producer, Michael Molinari. And well, two times in a row, it's becoming a theme. We got a guest to kick off the party here on the pod, fellas. Uh, Cole Bishop, Utah Ute. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you guys for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, heck yeah, man. I mean, once I saw like you were born in Massachusetts, I knew Michael would be fired up. <laughs> he's, he's got a spot in uh, in Mass in Boston. Okay. Uh, so with that said, um, I'm kind of curious, like, what is it like to be you now? Like, how is life? Here we are. We got your game this weekend against Oregon State on the Pac-12 Networks at uh, at noon local time for you guys in Salt Lake City. And just kind of curious how life is going for you. It's good. I mean, life's always better when you're winning football games, you know. So after that first game, it's nice to finally go on a little bit of a streak and hopefully keep it going. Cole, what's it like being in a secondary? I'm just looking at the – deep uh you're too deep and it stands out you played the fewest games in that secondary it's pretty interesting to have in this day and age to have as many guys playing alongside you that have this kind of experience give us an idea what that's like it's awesome being out there i mean you trust the guys around you clark rj travis malone everybody out there you just know that they have the game experience and they know what their job is and it just makes it a lot easier to do your job when you trust the guys around you Yogi's been on the Clark Phillips train since day one. Tell, tell us about him. He's legit. I mean, he works harder than anybody I see in that building. You know, he's up there pretty early with me. He's one of the last guys to leave. He's doing all the extra work, doing everything right, and it shows on the field. I was I was reading a preview article, went back, and you said, you know, things are going great, but I need some interceptions. I got to get some interceptions. So what that feel like for you to get that interception at ASU? It was awesome. I've been waiting for it to come. I felt like I haven't gotten too many balls thrown my way for the most part, but finally getting one to my guy and just being able to have the opportunity to go get it was awesome. Is it a, is it a compliment in a way that balls aren't being thrown your way? Uh, I feel like for the most part, yeah. I mean, usually that means I'm in pretty good coverage and just hopefully they'll keep throwing it towards me. How did you find your way out to Salt Lake from Georgia? Pretty much just Coach Scali. I mean, I was committed to Duke at one point, and uh, he messaged me on Twitter, and we started to build a relationship. And I didn't know anything about the University of Utah, especially the football program. And then just the more research I did on it, the more I started to fall in love with it and really fall in love with the coaching staff and their faith in me and the culture of this program and really led me to, led me out here. So how is that on your visit? Like when you, you all of a sudden drop into Salt Lake, I didn't get a visit. It was during COVID. So <laughs> I never been to Utah. I just kind of went out on a limb and showed up one day. That's a pretty huge, that's a pretty huge leap of faith to make a decision like that. Um, Very. It was uh, definitely took a lot of time with my family to discuss just going so far from home, especially in a place that none of us really knew much about. And uh, we just had faith in the coaches that they'd take care of me. Outside of the football, what's, What's the best part about uh, Salt Lake City? Honestly, just hanging out with my friends and teammates and stuff, you know, that's really just because, like I said, coming out here, not knowing anybody, it's really all you have. So it's just nice. Everyone, my roommate, he uh, is from Salt Lake, Charlie Vincent. So he's been able to show me some stuff, which is nice. So it's going pretty good. Is, what? is, Char is Charlie a skier? Uh, he is, but we haven't done too much of it recently. You know, yeah. I was yeah, trying to try to get you out there. Yeah, I got a snowboard over the winter, and then I ended up – one of our teammates got injured, and I was like, uh, I don't think it's worth it. 
snowboards away till till football's done, maybe. Yep. Then I do the snowboard all I want. Cole, talk about the the what the culture of this program because you have such hopes coming into this year, and the first game ends up being this heartbreak loss in the swamp. What was the rebound like? Uh, defensively, for the most part, our whole culture is uh, RSNB, relentless, smart, nasty ball hawks, and being relentless is just in everything. You know, we lost, and you got to keep being relentless, keep working, keep winning games. But that loss didn't change any of our goals for the season, really. So, obviously, we want it, but you can't take it back. So, you just got to keep working and going on to the next week. Can you, can you share what your goals for the season are? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, run it back, win the Pac-12, and then just try to win as many games as we can and see where that'll take us. Okay, speaking of games, we're going to be there on Saturday. We we see the must all the time. None of us have ever played in front of it. W- what is it like? They take us through your head when you know it's loud when the opponent has the ball and that fan base is going crazy. I mean, it's awesome. It's a lot different because, you know, when you play away games, usually they're not yelling when we're on the, the defense is on the field. They're cheering against our offense. So uh, just being at home and being having everyone be loud, having the other team mess up the snap count, having them try to figure out their plays is just so energetic and energizing when you're on the field, just having that. 12th man of, in the student section and all the fans that are just really helping out. It's awesome. We saw some of that up in Corvallis last week. USC had a lot of trouble. You might have seen that in some of the film. SC had a lot of trouble with the snap counts. And now that's mm-hmm. got to give the defensive side a huge advantage when Oregon State comes to your place. You think the atmosphere at, uh, at Reeser or uh, – no, I'm kidding. I don't want to ask you that. But just what's that do for the defense when you kind of have that – 12th man helping you out it'll it'll help a lot for sure I mean last year their their stadium's pretty loud and I know that I didn't play a ton that game I was still coming off my injury but just being on the sideline just listening to it definitely had an effect in the game I feel like a little bit so I think being at home this time will really help out you know we uh, tend to play pretty good at home so hopefully we can keep that streak going uh, Cole let me ask you about coach Winningham because he's one of the longest running coaches right now in FBS and I still think around the country people don't have an idea uh, of the kind of program he's run, the success he's had. So just share with us, what's something we don't know about him? <laughs> Give us quality the coach shows you guys that that and you that you can safely share with us, but that we never and see. I feel like he's a pretty open book, honestly. I mean, I guess maybe he doesn't crack as many jokes to the media when he's in a good mood, you know, <laughs> depending on depending on the day, he's a pretty funny guy sometimes, but you know, he's always serious when it matters and He's serious most of the time, but the occasional jokes are pretty funny. He gives. Does he have a genre? Like, is it, is it, is it dad jokes? Is it sports it's, jokes? It's all over the place. It's it all be, over the place. I love comes that. Out of left field all of a sudden every now and then. Um, when we watch you guys, the, you know, Michael referenced the, the secondary that you're a part of. It seems like the communication is just super fluid. Like, mm-hmm. How do you get to that place where it's almost like you're on a string? in terms of who's saying what to whom? Kind of just like how we talked about experience, you know, I mean, just everyone knowing their job and knowing what the people are doing around them makes such a big difference. It's not just knowing what you're going to do because, you know, let's say I know it's man coverage, but we're trying to show something else. If the other safety knows what I'm doing and just being able to play off of each other, you know, turning and looking, seeing what the corner is doing, being able to disguise coverages really makes such a difference. And I feel like just in-game reps and practice reps, just being so repetitive and, being able to be so confident in all your reps that you just know what the other guy's doing around you. So you don't, you don't know this. I don't When were you born? What year? 2002. 
okay so 2002 so in 2004 uh utah played my alma mater at the university of pittsburgh in the fiesta bowl mm-hmm. so i went down as first game i ever like covered as a reporter like first true bowl game and your coach morgan scally was playing in that game mm-hmm. and his shoulder pads were a lot bigger than yours and didn't have the <laughs> swag that you necessarily had but similar styles of play like have, have you ever watched him you're yes, that game. so it, the the film the last year goes back to his 2004 so you can watch all those games and they're not all the same calls but a lot of them are pretty similar you know they have a lot of the similar defenses we ran pretty similar stuff since then because Whittingham's been there Scally's there now and just being able to go back and watch that and like watch different people doing it you know we went back and watched Luther Ellis a lot of his highlights the other day and it's just awesome being able to go see all that stuff his are from a little bit while back so they had to bring in a separate thing for that but it's still pretty cool to see I can imagine with his son watching them as well has his son seen those before uh I'm sure I'm sure he's shown them in private but that was the first time we've all seen it together so I got one for uh, Oregon State specific let's say Jack Coletto gets through the line <laughs> and he's coming at you and him and he's he's a big guy he's pretty fast just give me your strategy when Jack Coletto comes through the line, it's you and him one-on-one. You got to take him down. Well, you know, Coach Scali always teaches us to get fundamentals to tackling, and you just got to make him pick one side and try to bring him down. It's not always about just having a big hit or something. As long as you get the guy down, playing safety is what's most important. And, and the other one I had, the sack you had, I was I watched that, and I just went, ooh, when I – like, what, how much more fun, the interception or the sack? Probably the interception just because it was my first one. And, you know, those don't come too often. Neither do sacks, but I've had a sack before in college. So the interception was probably more exciting for me. Take, take me through the sack. It's like you just – it was like you were shot out of a cannon, as it looked like when I was watching. It's pretty funny. So, you know, my position for the most part, I'm on the tight end usually. So I'm following him into the boundary area. I'm just walking over towards him, trying to get the play call. And then it was a, we got the call kind of late. And it was a field side pressure. So I had to run over there and Coach Scali gave a great play call. I mean, it was a formation in the boundary. I was blitzing into the field and he bit out to the side. And then me and Lander Barton were right there and he ran into me. Worked out perfect. Yeah. Worked out well. It sure did. Sure. Before we let you go, um, there's a moment in every game at Rice Eccles that none of us have experienced. We were there in Las Vegas and we heard the moment of loudness. And the chills that we all had were what you'd imagine. To be a player, when you hear that, you know, we are, this week is the one year, as you know, anniversary of Aaron Lowe passing away. Curious what that impact, that moment of loudness does to your team and and for you specifically. I mean, I feel like it really just helps people come together, you know, no matter what's happening in the game, no matter what part of the, whether we're up or down, you, everyone cheering, everyone getting in that little huddle and just remembering our guys, you know, really helps people play for something more than just ourselves and play for each other really and I just really think it helps us helps us start going there's been a lot of like crazy coincidences with that you know like I'm pretty sure last year after Britton Covey had like a 22 yard return or something and then Dalton Kincaid I think had a 22 yard reception or something and it's just crazy to see all those different things adding up yeah so many special moments within the game Um, before we let you go um, one of your top players, and I'm sure somebody you've leaned on a lot, Brent Keithy, he's lost for the season. What kind of impact has that had on your locker room? And do you see yourself as a guy who's, you know, maybe not the oldest guy, but you play a lot as having to step up a little bit from a leadership standpoint? 
Yeah, I mean, for sure, everyone's going to have to. It's not just Brant's uh, playing ability that makes him so special. He's a great leader. He was voted a captain for the team. Everyone looks up to him, especially on the offensive side. And uh, just having guys step up, you know, Dalton's going to have to take on more of a role, Cam, and everybody's going to have to be really step up in their leadership. And defensively, too, we're going to have to start picking up some slack and everything and just got to keep working. Yeah, well, we know that about Utah football. Keep working. Love the turnaround, man. We cannot wait to get there. Another sold-out crowd at Rice-Eccles, man. And uh, I'm sure you and Michael can talk post-game, a little Massachusetts storytelling <laughs> back and forth between you two. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> go Pats. Yeah, Thanks go for Pats. your time. Look Thanks forward to that. seeing you. There it is, Cole Bishop. Uh, Ted, you asked him right when he got off about the hit on the sideline. Guy Haberman, just so we know, our friend Guy Haberman, Cole Bishop is his favorite player. So I sent him a video what? of that clip, and I was like, I know you think you're Cole Bishop, so pretend to be him right now as you light this dude up. Yeah, what we're talking about, there was a play in the first quarter of the game in an Arizona State run. I forget which uh, Arizona State player it was, is running, and he's on the sideline, and He's down the field. He's gained some yards, and Cole Bishop just levels him out of bounds to the point where the Dave Paschi announcer was screaming that it was a late hit foul. No, it wasn't. He was in bounds. You know, he was tight, but he was in bounds, and Cole Bishop hit him clean, hit him with the shoulder, exactly what he was saying, being taught to do it the right way. So it was, it was, you know, look, it was old school football. It was really hard, but it was really clean. Yeah, yeah. He's he reminds me of a more athletic Chase Hansen remember him from back in the day sure. former quarterback safety linebacker yeah he's kyle whittingham called him an absolute phenom was his quote this week and and, and here's the other thing and that's why i asked cole the question because you know i think i heard kyle is now the second longest running coach to ference in utah am i right on that with one yeah. with the same school yeah. in fbs you think anybody east of the rockies knows kyle whittingham Oh, they do in state college because he was rumored for that job well before James yeah, Franklin okay. got it, but that's about it. Yeah, they, no, it's yeah. a great point. They know of, make, they know I'm, of. I don't know if they know, but they know yeah. of. And I'm making a slight exaggeration. Right. I understand, but my point is that it, it just he doesn't for the for the for the job he's done, the program he's built, and I've said this repeatedly since June 30th, the last decade in this conference, the best football program, start to finish, has been Utah. Has been Utah, <laughs> with all the hoopla that goes to the other places including the school we just saw utah's been the program and kyle i don't think gets that acknowledgement and recognition enough nationally no, I agree i, I agree. hope you're not getting a lot of arguments when you say that Ted. that's what i would say you probably are but i hope you're not yeah, yeah. so speaking of um michael how you, how you doing you just got off the campaign trail for Fubo and Sling. We had a heck of a game over the weekend. How's your NIL business going? That's what I want to know. This is just, it's a public service, gentlemen. There's nothing, nothing has entered my pocket. It's a public service. But uh, I think maybe I might have helped a few people find our show. And I'm glad I did because I thought it was one of the best we've ever done. So that's, I've, I've heard a lot of positive feedback. I've, I've actually watched half the game back. You know, it's a good game. I, I would say it like watching Apollo 13. I know what's going to happen, but I'm still very excited and interested and entertained. Like, you know, it's a great game when you know the outcome, but you still get into it emotionally watching it a second time. So that's how good a game it was. It, it holds up for sure. Yeah. 
Wow. So Ted, what well, did it's you one th- of those play. Except the only problem is at Oregon State, they know the ending and they don't want to watch it again. <laughs> I know uh, that's the hard part because it, you walk away. Look, we were all buzzing after the game because it was, and I think I made you know I know I made the statement several times during the game with Yog. You know, look, this is what happens in sports. Sometimes really good teams or players win when they're not at their best. And Caleb Williams, bluntly, was awful. <laughs> I mean, how's to say it until the last throw which yogi you hit perfectly that was a gem so he absolutely saved the only best for last but usc with their quarterback their your linchpin guy not playing well and they still win they still win there's something to be said about that people can overreact as they always do and say oh that proves they're not as good as we thought they were that that's that reaction's normal in sports that's the sports talk radio mindset to me i go Man, they didn't play as well. Oregon State did a tremendous defensive job, as you said, Yogi. And, and USC still won. And I'm thinking back to our Friday meeting. And uh, and I forget which one of someone one of us asked Trent Bray, the D coordinator for Oregon State, uh, something about a question. And he looked at us and he kind of chuckled. He goes, We're not going to play very much, man. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they saw what USC did to Stanford in a lot of man coverage. And Oregon State didn't play any man, did they? No. And they did a tremendous job, Yogi. You were all over that. They did a tremendous job in that defense of covering a blank or covering a bushel full of good receivers. Yeah, it was it was amazing. All right, two two reactions to me from the game. One is that like I think we need to give Jordan Addison a lot of love because here's the reigning Blitnikoff winner. He wasn't open or he wasn't thrown to, or when he was, it was inaccurate all game long. And he, as a former wideout, and my roommates in college, for whatever it's worth, were two Bolitnikov winners. So I know what it's like to have that pressure, and then you don't get the ball, and you're on the road. It is frustrating. It is extremely frustrating. And for him to not give up, for him to outside release on that last route, for him to perfectly catch him, it was like a clinic with in terms of how he just like snapped a picture. Imagine you're taking a picture on an old uh, you know, Polaroid or something like that. I just, I look back on that, and I'm like, Mad props to him. Yes, Caleb and all that stuff, but you're the quarterback. Like, this is what you do, your you're resiliency. But a lot of times it's easy for wideouts to kind of go in the tank, especially when you see cloud coverage. You think you're dead anyway. You don't think you're going to get the ball. And he ran the route with at full speed, exactly how I was supposed to. And if he doesn't, that ball doesn't get to him. You know, so I just, I want to give him love. And then for Trent Bray, my man, Trent, you're going to get, you already get paid. But you're going to get paid even more because now every team in the country that plays USC, whether it's Arizona State, whether it's Utah, let's just say they go to the playoff and they play Alabama. Oregon State is the blueprint. Everybody's going to come after this guy and see him. Now, Jonathan's only lost three coaches in his five years there. I'm not saying he's going anywhere. He played there. He loves it there. But I am saying this dude, he is. It was the most impressive game plan that I've seen in. 16 years of calling games from when we go from Friday to the meeting, we're going to do this to Saturday and actually seeing it in my, in my whole career. And that's, and that's a great point, Yogi and Michael, because this is a game. And I was so happy. I was talking with uh, Sam Polis, our brains about this. when we were heading back to Portland. He said in a, in a game overall where offenses are dominating and how many games on Saturday do we see around the country, including a couple in this conference that were 40 to 30, you know, 50 to 40, et cetera. The, both defensive coordinators, 
both DC. Alex Grinch did a great job with a USC defense that had an awful lot of questions about it. They did a terrific job. So that was, to me, the nice part in a big picture view of the game was that, yeah, you can still play defense in college football 2022. How confident was Trent Bray in that meeting, too? That's what I walked out of there going, why is this guy this confident? He's up against a team that's scoring 50 a game. And he knew something. I mean, he had absolute confidence in his plan. Yeah. Yeah, that it was awesome. Um, I say I'll say this, uh, Ted. You know this better than me. But coming out of a game, if you're ever wondering, like, hey, was it a good game? Was it a was it an average or above average broadcast? I don't go to many like of my of mentions on social media, but the amount of direct messages of you should retire, you're embarrassed, you're embarrassing, you did a great job, I love you. Like it was all across the board, pretty even. That I was like, oh, that was a good game, and just kept it moving. But. Uh, to Michael's point, there was a lot of attention, and there should be. And I appreciate people watching that one. And, and I want to step back here now and give you the uh, the drone-level view. This was great for college football. This was great for the Pac-12. Yeah. The atmosphere at Reeser was fabulous. And I couldn't – I kept – and Michael and Scott Barkey and our team did a terrific job of trying to capture that and show people in a construction zone. It's only half a stadium. And it was phenomenal. They sold standing room. People were standing all the way around the lower concourse, probably three, four deep, all the way around the, what, probably 60% of the the structure that exists. The students were there an hour before and did not leave. Not a soul left before the end of that game. The USC band was up in Albany, sitting up in the, (laughs) and they were up there doing their best. You know, that's where they got the seats. Um, I I just, uh, you know, let me just say, I'm trying to frame this the right way. It was refreshing to have that experience for us yeah. in this conference to have a true college football atmosphere in a great college town, Corvallis. It was fabulous. And I, no matter winning or losing the game, because we don't have a rooting interest in this, I root for college football. And we won on that front Saturday night. Amen. Amen. And, uh, I think Lincoln Riley, to, to that point, I give him a lot of credit. Scott my, and, and our team, they captured some really cool moments with him on the sideline with Caleb and keeping the thing together. I loved what he said afterwards, being a Pac-12 guy for now for a while. Um, it was as raucous and challenging of an environment as he'd seen. And he's been in a lot of places, right? Whether it's Stillwater, whether it's the Texas OU game. like He's seen crazy environments many times in his career. And to say that that ranked towards the top, I was like, that was to Ted's point. That's good for college football. Yeah. And now let's let's go specific here. Okay, USC won the game, but they've got to figure that out. <laughs> I mean, Caleb Williams had a bad game, the inaccuracy. That's a physical thing. That can that likely will get corrected. The the, the play calling in the first half, you can't. I mean, they, they will pay a price for that at some point if they don't fix that. Yeah, well, they've got, uh, as of now, 15, 18 days until they play at Rice Eccle Stadium as of the time we're recording this. Boom, and that's going to be the one. <laughs> there you go. Yes, I was going to say the intensity and the atmosphere is only going to be equaled or notched up as we go from Reeser to Rice Eccles this week. So <laughs> let's, yeah. let's enjoy this, fellas. Amen. All right. So with that said, um, let's spin it forward. and Let's talk Utah, Oregon State. Like my biggest note coming to the game is like for the beeves can't let us see beat you twice 
I think they're veteran enough to not do that. What, what do you guys think coming to this game against the favorite to win the league versus a team that I think we'd all say has the ability to win the league? Yeah. Rebound. And and to me, I, it's, it's part of the sport, which isn't fair, but Chance Dolan took a lot of the, the brunt of the aftermath from the Oregon state side rebound game for chance Nolan in a tough environment. And, uh, and, you know, he, he had played three really good games coming in and, you know, a couple of, yeah, just a couple of tough ones, uh, you know, not all. And I, 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 we all know about football, this, as I said, too much credit, too much blame. There were a couple of other Yogi unforced errors that Oregon state made that really hurt their chances, especially in the fourth quarter of that game. But the quarterback gets the brunt, of it. So that to me is the first thing, you know, and what does Oregon state, what does Brian Lindgren do to get, do you, do you throw a bunch of quick throws early in the game to get chance Nolan a rhythm to get him some confidence and complete some throws. The very thing that Caleb didn't do at the beginning of his Saturday night game in Corvallis, he missed everything at the beginning when they were trying to get him going. Um, and the other thing that uh, we were wondering about a little bit after the game was the number of deep shots Oregon state took. And after having success with them, they had no success with the deep shots against USC. Did they overplay that hand a little bit? And how do they, re, you know, how does that come back this Saturday at Utah? How much do they go to that well? What, what interests me is last week, obviously, uh, Oregon State beat both these teams last year. But I think last week, USC it's a, it was a completely different team. It was like that didn't even count because there's nobody there. The offense has changed, everything's different. This week, they beat Utah last year and it's virtually the same team. So I think, I think the Beavers might have a little more confidence based on the results from last year, this week than last. So that may help them, but that's right. Michael, both, both teams are the same, really. Right. I mean, yeah. there's a few changes, but both teams are very similar. In fact, Whittingham said when at the presser talk about their offense, he's like, they're just like us. Like, this is like a mere, this is a mere battle in a way, tough defense, really strong secondary play action, tight ends. It, it's gonna, it's it's like two teams going after each other in almost the same way. So I think it's going to be, that might be really interesting to capture and, and develop as the game goes on. That's great. You know, my hidden thing to watch after studying these teams is the Beavs in the back end, for as good as they played schematically, they got to make plays on the ball. You know, the, you go back and watch the game. There was a couple of times the ball hits defenders in the hands or in the hip or whatever, like if they can get a turnover. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the thing in this game. Like, cause you're right. Got to run the ball, set the play action receiving core for both of them are above average, not elite, uh, but the back ends, we just talked to Cole Bishop. He made the pick in the red zone. Katana Wadapo hit him in the hip. That's going to be something to keep an eye on. Amen. And there's the, you hit a great point you know because usc's defensive i mean they lead the country in interceptions right now lead the country they've made the plays on the ball and you're right in the first probably the first half of that game caleb williams hit as many oregon state defenders with the ball as he did his own receivers but yeah. they didn't have they didn't have that pick no I mean, turnover yet zero no turnover. turnovers for the turnovers. Right. that's game amazing. ball travis die Nice job. Um, let's keep it. Noah told me to bring. Yeah, yeah, I got a prop. Zane found this this morning <laughs> somewhere. Um, okay, let's go to Friday night. Fellas, I ain't gonna lie to you. UW, you watch that game. I swear, it feels like their offense is on the gas and they're driving like Molinari's Tesla and just flying down the 105 in the carpool lane. It's awesome. How's UCLA? 
couple D linemen injured. We'll see how many come back. Secondary has been challenged the last couple of years. Haven't looked elite this year yet. I don't know. Saturday night, what is it? Seven o'clock or so at the Rose Bowl. What, what do you think? About Friday night. Yeah. Friday. Yeah. Excuse me. Friday. Friday night. night. Yeah. First of all, I'm, I'm exhaling. I thought you were going to say Molinari's Tesla racing down Highland Avenue in Manhattan beach. That was the first. He knows one. better than that. He knows Woo! better than that. Wow. Um, no, this is great because I, and I, it's funny you said it because I watched the first quarter of the Washington Stanford game back. That's all I've watched. Blew my mind. Every single pass play. And this is where, you know, everyone's jumping on uh, Michael Penix with good reason. Every single pass play Stanford called in the first quarter Washington was in Tanner McKee's face. Every play. There was one third down play, the first third down in the game. Stanford had six in blocking. They kept the back in. They had six blocking. UW rushes four. Four beats six. They sacked the quarterback. You're dead. I mean, if that happens as an as a Stanford offense, you're dead. And that's clearly what happened. So if Washington's defensive front can play like that, man, that that's, that's something. Um, and on offense, the flip side, when I watched Penix had a clean pocket, nobody in his face, no pressure, took his time, tapping the ball, padding, waiting for his guys. You know, that formula is, is hard to beat. Now, the challenge is we all know they haven't traveled. So how do they react to that? Um, you know, UCLA is trying very hard from everything I see to get people to the Rose Bowl on a Friday night, which is not easy at all. What kind of an atmosphere is there going to be there will be the other question I ask. But um, you know, I think, look, we, we have two things here. Washington hasn't been challenged by traveling yet. UCLA hasn't been challenged like they will be by quality of opponent yet. So we have two unknowns that are going to collide. You will not be flying down the 105 on Friday night, by the way, Yogi, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, but uh, I just watching the two teams, I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be quick on this one. I, I just think that Washington's offense is going to prevail in this game. That's, that's my sense. We'll see. But I just think, I just think their offense is clicking is really, really clicking and looks good. And I think, I, I just think they're going to prevail because they're going to outscore UCLA. And I don't even think, I personally don't think the game's going to be that close. Really? But we'll see. All right, so Yogi, can UCLA test? Because no one's really, Michigan State maybe a little bit once they fell behind, but can they test Washington secondary? Can UCLA yeah. challenge that? Well, UW's two to three guys out almost every game yeah. in the back end. We'll see where they net out come Friday night. Uh, I think so. I think they're going to have to. And I think DTR, you, I think you'll see a lot of design runs, a lot of the RPO stuff. But guys like Michael Aziki at tight end, need to elevate you look at the litany of receivers they have they need to play like we know them to play right Kaz Allen needs to be a burner he needs to make plays down the field Cam Brown needs to make plays down the field Jake Bobo we've seen him come on the last two weeks he's got to continue to be that guy so I look at that and then you know Chip Kelly we can't forget this is one of the best play callers in college football you know recent history He's awesome when it comes to diagnosing plays, finding weaknesses. And I'd say Ryan Grubb is, is as good as we've seen this year in the league. Like we've got some really fun play callers in this game. So I, I look forward to UCLA being able to move the ball. And it'll be fun to watch tempo in this game. UW likes to go fast at times. UCLA has a variety of them. Like this will be a fun coaching game. We'll be glued to it. 
in the Hilton in Salt Lake City. We'll be watching this one somewhere together. Uh, but well, wait, can I just say yeah. we're going to be our production meeting is at the Leprechaun Inn in Salt Lake City Friday. Oh, man. I'm not I'm not kidding. So anybody anybody that's in Salt Lake knows the Leprechaun Inn Friday. That's we'll be watching the game. I love that. Okay, so Ted, you're gonna love this. So we're gonna have this graphic in our game. Uh, I don't know. If, tell me if you'd agree. Of all the years we've been in the Pac-12, where everybody misses two opponents per year, crossover games, right? North and South. Granted, I get the standings are not North and South anymore, but the schedule remains. For whatever reason, I feel like this year. It's got the most impact. UW's not playing SC and Utah. You look at Oregon State, they're playing SC and Utah. Like, I just think it's going to have an impact on who gets to Vegas more so than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'm starting to hear some of the breathless exasperation about this. And I, I understand, look, in a perfect world, it would be a round robin schedule, but that hasn't happened, will never happen. And as I constantly remind people every year, Alabama and Georgia never play. They never play until it's the SEC championship game. And I forget, I, I don't have the number anymore, but we talked about this last year on the pod in the last what, 14 regular seasons, they played like three times. So this is just life. What, what compounds it this year in our conference is no divisions anymore. And, and I think that's personally, I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, you're right. And that's why Washington's win over Michigan State to me was so huge because now they have a little bit of a, of a leg up. They don't, you might be able to absorb a loss is what I'm saying. Uh, if they had lost that game, non-conference game at home, they wouldn't have had the traction that they got, that they gained to be where I think 15 this week in the poll. Yep. So, so the question to me then becomes, if you want to start, you know, doing the schedule analysis, who has the most schedule pressure on them? You know, it's probably going to be the USC Utah loser. Whoever loses that game is going to be squeezed. And particularly because Utah already has a loss. And I've got to say, I've got to give uh, somebody in, in uh, at ESPN credit because they had an interesting fact that I saw during the Utah Arizona State game that I did not know that only twice has a team lost a game in September and made the CFP championship game. I had no idea that that blew my mind. Wow. Only twice has that happened. So that goes back to my, our conversation and why I put so much on the two weekends ago, both Utah and Oregon having to hold their home field, yeah. having already lost a September game. And again, this doesn't impact the conference race. I'm talking about the national conversation that Clearly, USC, Utah, and Oregon all have the hope to be in that. And now Washington can start to dream a little bit. It's dreaming still, but they can start to dream a little bit, which is a nice place to be. You mentioned national picture, just, just for reference. Four Pac-12 teams in the top 15, one Big 12. Anyway, Yogi? <laughs> I was just going to spin it to that. Of, it, I, we can make an argument that I think UW or SC, one could be six, one could be 15 based on what we've seen, you know, like, but the fact is we got four teams in the top 15 in the country with the Beavs and the Bruins and the Cougs all receiving a little bit of interest. Isn't it, is it, is it, is it just us out here? But it feels like the PAC 12 is like, dare I use that R word respected, finally respected. Does, does it well, feel like it might be? 
what I, what I laugh about, and this is, you know, this is the, the, uh, the older voice here has seen most of this stuff and heard it all through the years, but I love now the conversation flip in that all the, well, the PAC 12 has some, some really bad teams. And, you know, I mean, I just chuckle because every year, every league has teams that are scuffling. And right now, honestly, I hate to say it, but Stanford's in that group. There's three in this conference that are really struggling. Colorado, we know, Arizona State. I think I will stand up and pound my chest a little bit. What I said last week bore out. You fire a coach. And I've heard people say, well, if you're going to fire a coach, just fire him anyway. No. You saw Arizona State. I'm I'm sad to say that had a little no-show element to it against Utah. And it's not consciously, I understand that, but it's just human nature. My point being um, that you now have three teams in this conference that are scuffling and Stanford has to step up and Stanford's in a bad spot because they have a rough schedule. Let me talk about that on every, what year is this? 22. So it's every even numbered year, even numbered years, Stanford's schedule is really, really tough. And they're in it this year and they may not have the, the, the power in their team to survive it the way they'd like. Um, but my point being, in all the years that the Pac-12 didn't have the top powerhouse teams, and then you would say, well, yeah, but you know, it's actually more balanced than before. And people would just scoff and say, yeah, that's not that good a league. So uh, that's why I'm laughing because everybody wants to have it both ways. Now the conference has some pretty good teams that proved themselves out of league so far, right? Yeah. And suddenly say, wow, yeah, but it's not a balanced league. They're, they're going to beat up on the on the bottom teams. Nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. Agree to that. Could, All right. Could I just give a thank you real quick? Whoever, I don't know who it is, but whoever thought that ASU, USC was going to be a better game than USC at Oregon yeah. State. Thank you. And I, and I want to please make sure I don't want everybody to take this wrong. I'm, I'm sick for ASU that this has happened. I really can't stand it. And it's why I'm so emotional. I'm in Chip Kelly's camp on this about firing coaches and Georgia Tech just did it this week. So it's clearly now becoming an epidemic that's going to continue. I'm not an idiot thinking this isn't going to keep happening. I just don't think it's right. Yeah. I, again, we'll go right. back to the, to the vets, to the seniors. Like you work football so unique because you only have 12 of them. 12 guaranteed games and you work year round for those 12 and you want to give the players the best shot. And we don't know every locker room, but man, it doesn't seem like bouncing the head guy unless it's dramatically toxic is the right move. Yes. Yogi. I'm sorry. Let me add one more thing. There's been some rush to talk about Washington state doing it last year. No apples and oranges to the extreme. Yeah. These other schools, USC last year, Arizona State this year, Nebraska, Georgia Tech this year, those changes were all made for football reasons, performance football reasons. Washington State last year, football was okay. That was done for a legal reason that had nothing to do with football. There was no valid comparison with what Washington State went through last year. Amen. So to big props to you know our partners are making the drafts because Pac-12 Networks has Cal Wazoo. We got two. We got the two best games of the weekend, in my opinion. Um, what do you think? Like two teams that could be undefeated, right? Based on how the ball bounces, two teams that have defensive-minded coaches, two coaches who are not big ego guys, like super selfless, um, two transfer quarterbacks, two unique running backs, um, two teams whose receiver core has elevated, I think, this season, especially in the last couple weeks. Man, that. It's homecoming in Pullman. What do we think about this game? Cal coming off an explosive game with Jade not being the offensive player of the week in the Pac-12. 
I think the Cougs better figure out a way to stop Jay Knott. 274, most in FBS this season. Mm -hmm. 274. I haven't seen that number in a while. Uh, I, I can't wait to see him, by the way. I mean, he just looks, uh, in that game, unstoppable. Yeah. Um, so I think if the Cougs got to stop the run or they have no chance. That's that was my quick synopsis. Okay. Well, let's let's credit Justin Wilcox. Cal changed its offensive line. What did we talk about last week, right? Notre Dame killed them. Offense, Cal's offensive line. They changed. And then the result is 274. So Cal had to breathe. Jack Plummer of all people had to be smiling because he didn't have jerseys in his face on every single pass play. Uh, so so Cal did that and reaped benefit. And now they have a chance to make a mark. If Cal can win on the road, you're 4-1 with your only loss being a, a one touchdown game at Notre Dame. That's that's pretty good. And for the Cougs, I, I think they have a little bit of the Oregon State question this week is, how did we lose that game? How did we lose that game? And and I'll come back and say, to me, that told me something about Oregon. Yeah. Because And here's my little fact going to the week. Oregon in the first half of Pullman Saturday had four drives of 60 or more yards, four drives of field drives in a half and scored zero touchdowns. That's hard to do. You really have to try to do that. They scored five touchdowns in the second half. Now the last one, the defensive score, but they scored four offensive touchdowns. So to pick yourself up is what I'm saying to come out at halftime, to pick yourself up and, and flip the, flip the game like that. That to me is great credit to Oregon, but it also, I'm sure Washington State, Jake and his staff sat there and said, how did we lose that game? We kicked their tail the whole game and we lost? How'd that happen? Yeah, it was it was an amazing game to go back and watch. Here's how I spin it forward for Wazoo against Cal. In UNLV and Notre Dame combined, Jack Plummer was hit 26 times. He was barely touched in their game over the weekend against Arizona. When I look at Ron Stone Jr. and Brennan Jackson in this front, it's super athletic. They're going to move all over. They're going to stress the O-line. So how does Bill Musgrave and Cal run the ball, slow down the rush a little bit, get it out, stay, as they say in, you know, on TV, you hear it all the time, stay ahead of the chains. Like, can you be second and six, third and four? Don't give them those long downs so they can just come at you because they will. It's a super creative defense, as we've seen from the Cougs. Yogi, I love that because the two things I love that you don't say is stay ahead of the chain and stay on schedule. Yeah, stay on that's schedule. another one. Stay on schedule. Yeah, that's know. that's what Ernie Sparger did for Michael for years. He kept <laughs> Michael on schedule, did the Kais. Oh. That's not that's not on the field. Closing times was an important <laughs> part of Ernie's schedule. It was a big, big part of it. So okay, so for the for the ducks. I say this, much like Lincoln Riley, two of the three coaches under the age of 40 in our league as the head guys. Pullman's a tough place to play. Ted, to your point, like things just not finishing for them. He kept it together. And Bo, like I voted for Bo Nick's offensive player of the week. Yeah. What he did on the road, you look at that last drive, that throw, finally uh, they have a receiver in Troy Franklin who makes yeah. a play, stays up. He looked like Jordan Addison against Stanford. Could have fallen to the ground, kept his – Kept his balance. I kind of like the Ducks here. I think they're trending. You know, they get Stanford. We'll get them next week at Arizona. I think Dan Lanning's got a lot of props because he didn't have four years as a head coach at another institution like Lincoln Riley did. Like, we're watching him on the fly, like, be a head coach. And, and I like I like the vibe of his team. 
being able to pull that one out. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I mean, to me that, again, Oregon has a lot of hope. Yeah, and good call. Some of it may not be realistic, given, like you said, not just Dan Lanning, the entire staff. Everybody on the Oregon coaching staff is in their first year there. So that's, and the quarterback is new and all the things that we know about college football today. But by winning that game, they keep those dreams, their national dreams alive. And they get into October with that national dream and schedule to Michael's point, they don't play USC this year. So it's yeah. another, that's another potential positive for Oregon and their hopes to get to the championship game. Okay. So let's touch a little bit about Arizona. I think it's worthy. Um, they get Colorado at home. Uh, Colorado has clearly struggled. Arizona's had flashes. Like that first half against Cal, you're thinking, I could see them getting this one. You know, moving the ball, Tetero McMillan making plays. You know, eventually too many turnovers. Obviously couldn't stop the run defensively. Too many long explosive runs. But what do we think about Jed? We haven't talked about him much. We'll get him next week on the Pac-12 Network. Uh, and the job he's done a month into year two. Mm-hmm. Well, excitement. I mean, that's the, and I have not watched, I did not watch the Arizona Cal game, so I can't speak specifically to the game, but I'm going to say something. I read a, a wonderful column. It was a terrific um, longtime writer, my vintage, Larry Stone in Seattle. And he wrote a story after the UW win Saturday night. And he just talked about the fact that not only are they winning this year with the new arrangement, but they're entertaining. They're fun to watch. And we lose sight of that sometimes with all the internal football focus on just winning. You're still selling a product and Washington is doing that. And that's where I was coming to Arizona to me, Yogan, again, we've mentioned this before, but being there for the spring game, I was blown away. It was my first time. I haven't been, I haven't done a, I think the last time we, I did a football game in Tucson, we had the famous Michael Molinari dinner (laughs) <laughs> at the athletic director's house. I think it was the last oh, time I was there. Was that, what, 15 years ago? So it was great to be there for me for the spring game with you, Yog, and to see what Jed has done, to see the the way he built the spring game into just an entertainment show. Yes, it was football-centric. Of course it was. But around it, he made it feel like it was an entertainment. It was a festival day. Um, and I jokingly called it Jed Fest. <laughs> And that's great. That's part of this. And particularly in this conference, as I've screamed to the last breath I have in this league, where if 3 a.m. we kick a game off, there aren't going to be 80,000 people in the stands. You need to do that. You And I know coaches really rebel against that for the most part, but the younger, newer wave, more aware coaches, and Jed is certainly the leader of that pack, understand that. So I know that didn't have a lot of football answer, but that was my take. <laughs> First of all, go ahead, Michael, take the nothing, football. nothing, well, nothing crazy happened at the dinner. I'm sure my phone will light up with text. What happened at the dinner? What happened at the dinner? I, it's, it's a harmless story. So I'll share it when someone asked me about it via. <laughs> it's very harmless, but it's still a funny story. It is. It is funny. It was a little, it was a pronunciation issue. Yeah, I yeah. say that it was pretty good. Uh, but, well, I, I got to echo what you said first. I think he, Jed understands it's about entertainment, especially in a town where, you know, the basketball, the basketball dominates that it's one of the rare towns where the basketball dominates and he's figured out a way to make going to a football game, exciting for the student body and, and the locals. And I can't wait to get there and, and really bring that home. You know, as you mentioned, Scott Barkey before I got to give him some props. I thought he absolutely killed it covering 
the atmosphere at Riesler last week. And I can't wait to see what we do uh, at Utah this week and in Arizona the following week. Cause I think we're going to have, you know, three great atmospheres in a row. So I think he, get, I, what do I say? He gets it. It's kind of a, it's sort of a cliche, but I think Jed gets the football side, but he gets the entertainment side too. And he gets relating to the modern player. And I think that's, that's how new coaches are going to be successful. I don't think you can do it. I don't think you can do it the old way. I think you have to care about all those things. So I'll pass the football to Yogi after yeah. my soapbox. <laughs> well, and, 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 and Yogi Dolores, but Dolores, I mean, let's face it, that for, for the rare transfer within the conference of a starting quarterback, this one seems to be working very, very well. Yeah, I can't wait to get there. I think he's a star. They face Owen McCown, true freshman, gets his second right. start this weekend. Uh, all right, before we get to humanity, let's, let's play on the entertainment. Ted, you kind of went viral with how you closed off the game, USC, Oregon State, with the homage to The Wire. I had more messages of how you finish the game if you're going to take the king down. Oh, Take us into that. How do, how do you even come up with Well, I forget where I said it, but it was, I think, anyway. Well, no, first of all, uh, for those who don't know, if you have never watched The Wire, shame. It is the greatest show in the history, greatest scripted series in the history of television. Um, it takes all of us, the three of us in particular, into a life that we would have no way of possibly understanding. And they did it magnificently. And there's a legendary line because this, it's a dark theme. It's about the drug trade in Baltimore and the destruction that the drug trade did. But it's told with in Michael Molinari's word, the ultimate humanity. It's told with the most humanity-driven stories. That's what makes it so powerful. So there's a, a, um, a character named uh, Stringer Bell who's straddling the line of, of being basically a kind of a, a major factor in this drug trade on the streets of Baltimore, but he's also trying to become an entrepreneur and businessman at the same time. It's fascinating. And the famous actor Idris Elba plays him. And at some point, there's a an attempt to do, to uh, to pull off a coup and take down one of the leaders of the drug cartel. And he just utters the famous line, if you come at the king, you best not miss. And it's just legendary. It's a legendary line. It should be t-shirt line. So anyway, that was what, what I really felt was when Oregon State had the drive where they would have had first and goal, holding penalty and on the receiver. And then there was another mistake as well. And they ended up having to kick a long field goal. And instead of having first and goal came with zero points. And that was, to me, that was like, ouch, you're trying to knock down this team that's already established himself as a heavyweight. You can't have that mistake in, in, in the fourth quarter. It was so awesome. anyway, that was a long was win. Great. Sorry. Was and great. that wasn't, that was not Michael's humanity moment. Stay tuned. No, for that. no, no. All right. That's the entertainment portion of the show. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Michael, take us home with the humanity moment of the week, brother. First of all, Ted, love the shirt, China Delight. And uh, thank you to our crew members. Thank you to our crew members in Corvallis for, for providing this for me. Thank you. Uh, China Delight is a, uh, a restaurant, also has a uh, auxiliary lounge that probably is the, uh, stays open the latest in Corvallis. Yeah. And another corollary after that. So Coach Aliotti joined us after the game. I told him it was right on his way out. He was going to have one. He had one Bud Light on his way out as he was driving back to Eugene. And he was like, I love this place. This is my type of bar. <laughs> and then I started telling him about The Wire because it came up. And he's like, oh, I love Breaking Bad. Well, I like it if I like I was like, Coach, you've got to start oh watching gosh. The Wire. So yes. if anything, your line at the end of the show may get Coach Aliotti 
to watch the wire. So we already won. We already won, right? So anyway, as I've mentioned before, one of my favorite places in the pack, maybe the favorite is Corvallis, because it reminds me of my little hometown, Oneonta, New York, in central New York, small college town, just 80 miles away from Syracuse, home of the 4-0 Orange, by the way. Uh, mark your calendars, because we've got a clash for this pod coming up. October 29th, Ted's Notre Dame Fighting Irish are at the Cuse. And then the very next week, the Cuse traveled down to Pittsburgh to face Yogi's Panthers. So bragging rights will be on the line late October. But anyway, back to Corvallis. Uh, I just say there's something magical that overcomes you when you arrive. The small town charm develops, envelops you with a sense of community. People you've never seen before walking down the street will look you in the eye and say, hello, or even good morning. At the local coffee shop near a hotel, the Bodie Bakery, by the way, if there's a Starbucks or pizza in Corvallis, what a wasted opportunity that would be to patronize one. Uh, while I waited in line to order, I had a five-minute conversation with a mom and her daughter about whether the berry breakfast bar, the chocolate one, or maybe the pumpkin scone would be best with my coffee. They all look good. Uh, meanwhile, as I looked around, USC fans were peacefully commingling with the Beaver faithful. It was, it was just a giant community. Uh, after breakfast, I had a conversation in our hotel's elevator a conversation in an elevator with some players from the Cal women's volleyball team who were also staying there. It seemed unnatural at first, but it's more natural. Is it more natural to stare ahead and ignore the fact you're sharing a space with fellow humans or actually trying to talk to them? I, mean, I don't know. Corvallis kind of brings that out. Uh, this weekend is another uh, in Corvallis is a reminder of me that I and we need to get out of our silos. The virtual exchange you're having on your phone shouldn't take priority over an actual interaction you could and should be having with the person you're standing next to. Inspired by Corvallis's spirit of community, on my mile walk from the hotel to Reeser, I stopped and spoke with a few, I took a few moments to stop with a woman walking her golden retriever, a few tailgaters, and a security person manning the gate. It may have cost me 10 minutes, but the rewards then, and hopefully moving forward, will be immeasurable. So to all of you, take a moment to get out of your little world and enter the real world, which will give you and those around you a little bit uh, more humanity. And probably the most important thing, what was best for the coffee? I was inspired by the mom and the daughter to try them all, and it was a three-way tie. <laughs> I, I will title that piece, The Power of China Delight. See, that's what, and, and Michael, your, your point is so right. Because I don't know if either of you guys have been to a Lambeau Field. I don't know that if you've ever been. I have not. No. Corvallis is, is Lambeau Field in miniature. And what you just said, where we could walk from our hotel, it's a mile from our hotel to the stadium. It was 80 degrees. I didn't want to, because they force us to wear our costumes. I didn't want to ruin my costume. Um, but you can walk to the stadium easily. That's what Lambeau Field was like. And you walk through people's front yards and they're barbecuing. They offer you a brat and, and a beer and whatever. That's what Corvallis feels like. It's about half the size of Lambeau Field. But that is, is wonderful. It's why we cherish going to places like that. So well done, Kate Molinari. Nice job. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, good week. Hard to believe. Yeah. Flying home, fellas. It was like, oh, we're a third of the way done. How did that happen? How did that? 
That means we have two enjoy- things ahead of us. Yeah. Yogi, enjoy the moment, Yogi. Enjoy Come the on. Moment. Yeah. This is great. To- and if you you can tell how long we've gone today, because Yogi, what's the phrase? What was Saturday night about? How great is ball? Thank you. Yeah. You said it. How about that? Yeah, I loved it. That was fun, guys. All right. Thank you for the time. Thank you for your life, as Bill Walton would often say. Uh, (laughs) We got you on Saturday, 11 a.m. Pacific. Sling, Fubo. If you got it last week, that seven-day free trial is still continuing. Or just add another email address and get another one. Like You could work this thing all year long. Not hard, Mike. Can I do a little bit of a self-serving thing here? I don't do this too often, but... M Molinari 620 at M Molinari 620 is my Twitter, my Twitter location. And if, if the Fubo TV speech helps you find the games this week and next week, just, just let me know. I just like to hear if, if, and how effective we were. And I checked the homepage out last night again, still there, FuboTV.com. And it's there. The free trial, the seven day free trial offer is still there. Impact 12 network is on the basic. I checked it out last night and it's, that's terrific. And somebody please tell the LA Times that instead of doing the brain dead, low hanging fruit story again. I mean, come on, you're better than that. Amen to that. Um, had a blast. It's going to, it's going to be so much fun this weekend as well. Uh, thanks everybody. Believe for allowing this thing to continue on lots of love. Stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.